Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Good morning, Ken. How are you? I'm good. You made me a little nervous with that cough, though, i got to say. No, I tell you, during hay fever season in the dust, and there's a lot of that, Right now, I, every yeah. now and then during the program in the morning, it'll sneak up and bite me. Yeah. I apologize. How's Dr. History I'm doing morning? great. Doing good. Beautiful day out there today. Yep. It is. Uh, I had a, quite a few comments about your show last week, and people really found that interesting. And then I also had another gentleman call and say, would you please have him tell how we can follow some of the old shows? Okay. Uh, I think if you just type in, uh, go to dr-history.com, all of the shows should be on there. There's about 330 shows. Oh, easy. So you should be able to go to my web page and just go back, 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 and you should be able to go clear back to, well, six years ago, oh, actually. Has it been that long already? Well, we've been doing this for 12. That's but what I, I thought. And uh, But the podcast on the air or on the okay. show has been about six years now. So, so with that being said, do you have any thank yous this morning? Well, not really. Uh, you know, I really appreciate those that uh, send comments and suggestions. So just go to my webpage and send me a comment, a correction, or a suggestion, and I will try to work on it. So I appreciate that. All right. Well, my friend, what are we going to talk about this morning? We're going to talk about a guy that is somewhat known, but not a lot. His name is Patrick Gass. Now, have you heard of him, Zeb? Pat? Patrick G-A-S-S. Gas. I had a joke there, but I'm not No, just say don't it. even go there. Okay, here we go, Zeb. So, you and I have lived in the Rocky Mountains for many years. Yep. We've been up in the mountains on horseback in snow. We've driven through it in snow. Absolutely. So, picture this. Finding shelter to protect against a Rocky Mountain winter on the frontier required a guy of pretty good fortitude. So picture this, snow began to fall after the Corps of Explorers descended what Patrick Gass called, quote, the most terrible mountains I ever beheld, Montana's Bitterroot Mountains. By the time the trailblazers had traveled roughly 4,100 miles from the mouth of the Missouri River to the Pacific Ocean, and they decided to build their winter quarters, the crew celebrated Christmas Day in 1805 in their brand new Fort Clatsop which, of course, is over there by Astoria, Oregon. Mm -hmm. So, now, in 1925... What a name. Yeah, Clatsop. It's got to be an Indian... They could have said Smith or something, but not Fort Clatsop. It's got to be an Indian name. So, in 1925, Catherine Downing Smith, the wife of one of Patrick Gass's grandsons, wrote a letter to her niece, Pearl, asking about Gass. And the Pearl offered some good insight into the man who, until his dying years, had been a soldier, a teller of tall tales, of his time with Meriwether Lewis and William Clark in the Rocky Mountain West. So here's what Pearl said. She said, in height, he was medium, had gray-blue eyes and dark brown hair, and evidently he resembled his mother. 
because she said <clears throat> she must be like You've him. got the cough, too. I do. <laughs> she must be like him in disposition, too, for I have never heard her complain of her deafness and is even tempered, always making the best of hard circumstances, quiet, methodical and persevering and she said he was sociable and liked company many people came to him to hear him tell of his experiences on the lewis and clark expedition he always spoke with praise for lewis and clark he had a black cat which he named sacagawea for the indian woman who accompanied them so Anyway, so Patrick Gass, this is the man, he lived uh, the later years of his life far from the wilds of the Rocky Mountains in a place called Wellsburg, West Virginia, and that's situated roughly between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. He died there on April 2nd, 1870, just before his 100th birthday. Wow. Far outliving any of the other Corps of Discovery members. I see. You know, 100, I mean, back then to live to be 100? Totally amazing. That was really something. It really was, yeah. yeah. The average lifespan, I like think, 40, back was about 45, 47, yeah. yeah. Right. So he was born June 12, 1771, near Chamber, Chambersburg in central Pennsylvania. And Gass later worked uh, to the moved to the central part of the state with his family. He served in the local militia and working as a carpenter. Uh, Patrick went to live with his grandfather, allegedly for his, quote, education. But he claimed that he acquired his entire education of reading, writing, and ciphering in a 19-day period after he had already reached adulthood. He was later described as having language, quote, better suited for the camp than the parlor. Uh, in other words, he, he would have a tendency to put some words that weren't yeah, nice. a little colorful. colorful. I see. And, uh, but that was kind of excused because of his many years as a soldier sitting around campfires and, you know, the proper terminologies I'm sure were always used. Uh-huh. Right? Kind of like you. Yes, yes, exactly. So, 1779, Gass enlisted in the regular army and was stationed at Fort, and I'm not sure if I'm going to say this right, Kaskasi, Kaskasi, Kaskaskia. Kaskaskia. You were better off just saying up at the fort. I should have said the fort. And it was in Illinois Territory. And I'm not going to say that name again. Nope. Anyway, that post is where, in 1803, an equally young and ambitious man named Meriwether Lewis, with orders from U.S. President Thomas Jefferson, went looking for Patrick Gass, uh, to join the celebrated Corps of Discovery. And the mission of the Corps, of course, was to chart a path to the Pacific Ocean in the newly opened expanse of the territory uh, recently acquired by the U.S. from France. Of course, we know that as the Louisiana Purchase. Now, after the expedition left St. Louis, Missouri, it ascended the Missouri River. Sergeant Charles Floyd died in what is now known as Floyd's Bluff in Sioux City, Iowa. Now, I don't, I've never heard of that. But no, I've been through that area quite a few so times. Floyd's I'm not familiar blood. with it. Yeah. Anyway, this 22-year-old sergeant died uh, in 1804 from a ruptured appendix. So Captain William Clark's journal entry for that day read, quote, Floyd died with a great deal of composure. We buried him on top of the bluff, one half mile below a small river to which we gave his name. He was buried with honors of war, much lamented. A cedar post with the name Sergeant C. Floyd died here, 20th of August, 1804. We fixed at the head of his grave. 
Hmm. And then he continues, he says, This man at all times gave us proofs of his firmness and determined resolution to do service to his country and honor to himself. After paying all the honor to our deceased brother, we camped in the mouth of Floyd's River, about 30 yards wide, a beautiful evening. So they, they really paid tribute to this, this young man that died um, at that time. Yeah. But So that same evening, the men elected Patrick Gass to serve as sergeant in Floyd's place, to take his place. Uh, Floyd's untimely passing was fortunately the only one of the entire expedition that died. And despite the sadness of the, the affair, all was not lost for the Corps. In Gass's journals, he wrote of spending Christmas at Fort Mandan that year. And he said, quote, This evening we finished our fortification. Flour, dried apples, pepper, and other articles were distributed in the different messes to enable them to celebrate Christmas in a proper and social manner. You know, what was the standard bill of fare when they were, like, on these journeys westward? I mean, what was the food like? You know, I'm sure they probably did pretty much what the uh, people on the Oregon Trail, just whatever could be preserved, so I'm, uh, or on the cattle drives. You know, flour, uh, maybe some sugar. Um, A lot of beans, probably. Beans, uh, jerky. Yeah. Molasses. Anything that could be preserved, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Meriwether Mer- Mer- Lewis must also have liked uh, this Pennsylvania-born Irishman, because a year later when gas, he... Uh, quote, he erred in a way likely to bring a display of Lewis's quick temper. Okay, that, that's in their words. Yeah. The captain wrote indulgently, even cheerfully, quote, Sergeant Gass lost my tomahawk in the thick brush, and we were unable to find it. I regret the loss of this useful implement. However, accidents will happen in the best families, and I consoled myself with the recollection that it was not the only one we had with us. <laughs> I love the way they talk, don't you? You know, really, the language was really a it, colorful language it, it really back in was. those days. Yeah. So, anyway, despite his duties as a non-commissioned officer, Gas sometimes joined the expedition's hunting trips. He experienced no outstanding adventures on the journey and no major uh, injuries or illnesses, so he got along pretty good. But the completion of the fort was cause for celebration. On Christmas Day, Gas wrote, quote, Captain Clark then presented to each man a glass of brandy, and we hoisted the American flag in the garrison, and its first waving in Fort Mandan was celebrated with another glass. The men cleared out one of the rooms and commenced dancing, which was continued in a jovial manner till eight at night. Wow. So they stayed up pretty late. Who played all the instruments? That I don't know. Oh. <laughs> the expedition built this fortified encampment along the Missouri River in present-day North Dakota. Gas's skill as a carpenter were put to good use in constructing Fort Mandan. That's where Lawrence Welk was from, in that area. Oh, is that Maybe right? Maybe they hired him. <laughs> they could have been. Uh, anyway, Gas also oversaw the construction of winter quarters at Camp Dubois and Fort Clatsop. He hewed dugout canoes in Mandan near White Bear Island in present-day Montana and Canoe Camp in Idaho. And I hadn't heard of those camps. I, yeah. Uh, but, and he const- Whereabouts was that in Idaho? Is that way up north? Uh, it says, it says talks about uh, Dubois, so I'm 
I'm not exactly sure where that could be, that canoe camp. Yeah. Um, but I'm guessing it's got to be northern. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he constructed wagons to portage the canoes to the Great Falls in Montana Territory. Not everything was a success. Gas also helped Lewis try to build his experimental iron frame boat near the Great Falls. Lewis had thought of this idea back east, believing a lightweight and maneuverable boat would allow the expedition to make good time. So once Lewis unpacked the boat, however, he realized the lack of pine trees meant he didn't have a substance to make pitch to seal the boat. How many men were on that? On that oh, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, it was, uh, I can't remember the number. It was quite a few. I'm, I'm just... Taking a guess, eighty or so. I was thinking you're pretty close to where yeah. I was going to say seventy-five or eighty. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, so Lewis didn't have any pitch to seal the boat for this his invention, but he worked really hard, and Lewis devised a kind of a formula of buffalo tallow, beeswax, charcoal, and hides for the seal to seal the hides around this metal frame, but it didn't work. Yeah. So that was that was done. How did they find out it didn't work? <laughs> here, here, you get in this boat, and we'll see how far you go. <laughs> but anyway, Lewis, uh, he says, to make further experiments in our present situation seemed to me madness. The buffalo had principally deserted us, and the season was now advancing fast. And he wrote that on July ninth, eighteen o five. So they gave up on that deal. Now. In addition to this, his participation in the Great Journey, Gass was the author of the first published account of the expedition, his journal, Gass's journal, and that covered events from May 1804 to September 1806, and it was one of four kept by expedition members other than Lewis and Clark. Is it in a museum? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, so, there, you know, I think we think of Lewis and Clark as the only ones that wrote about this, yeah. but they weren't. But anyway, follow, the following extract of a certificate delivered by Captain Lewis to Sergeant Gass, dated St. Louis, October 10th, 1806, shows kind of the high esteem that they had, uh, the character and good conduct of this non-commissioned officer during the expedition. And here's what he wrote about, about Gass. He said, quote, as a tribute justly due to the merits of the said Patrick Gass, I with cheerfulness declare that the ample support which gave me, which he gave me under every difficulty, the manly firmness which he evinced on every necessary occasion, and the fortitude with which he bore the fatigues and painful sufferings incident to that long voyage entitles him to my highest confidence and sincere thanks, while it eminently recommends him to the consideration and respect of his fellow citizens. Now, that's a pretty amazing uh, tribute. Well, it is, but what amazes me about everything you're saying is all these tributes and all these diary recordings, etc. These folks must have had a really good education to be able to write like that. Yes, yeah. Uh, Again, the the language back then is very uh, descriptive. Absolutely. But gas is also noteworthy for being only one one of only two expedition expedition members to have their photograph taken. There's only two actual photographs of people that were on that expedition. Of all those people? At the age of 98, he was also the last living member 
of the Corps of Discovery. Wow. <laughs> so, anyway, Gass stayed in the Army after the expedition and served in the War of 1812. At one point during the war, he worked under Daniel Boone in the construction of a small temporary fort on the Mississippi known as Fort Independence. Yeah. Or, and I'm going to attempt this, Zeb. Here we go. Fort, and I'm gonna, this must be French, Cap a Gris, Gris, Cap a Gris. Hmm. We'll refer to it as Fort Independence. There you go. So, now here's another thing. He lost one eye in an accident and was honorably discharged. For many years thereafter, he worked at many jobs. Now, after Gas returned to civilization in September 1806, he sought out and formed a partnership with a guy named David McKeon. He was a Pittsburgh book and stationery store owner to edit his expedition journals. And Gass, by his own admission, says, quote, he never learned to read, write, and suffer, cipher till he had come of age. So he didn't learn to read or write till he got older. Yeah, but this is an amazing story of self-education. Yeah. And it says much of Gass's journals paraphrase original field notes, which unfortunately were destroyed during the initial publication. Hmm. So I don't know what happened there. How much of what uh, Lewis and Clark wrote uh, is still available in museums, etc.? Do you know that? Uh, you know, it seems to me that there was a bunch that was lost, and I can't remember. Wasn't there a canoe accident or something? Well, I think even after that, oh. that there was some manuscripts that were lost even after the, the expedition. I see. But. In 1807, Gass's journal is important not only for his contents, but also for being the first published journal of the expedition. That was, his was the first. Holy cow. And that was seven years before the first publication based on Lewis and Clark's journals. And the title page featured, quote, Corps of Discovery. And Gass is credited for popularizing the name, that name, the oh, Corps of Discovery wow. by the explorers. So, um, now, by now, he's middle-aged, uh, Gass returned to military service, found himself stationed at the same fort in Illinois Territory where he'd been so eagerly recruited in 1803. Gass saw service in, like I said, the War of 1812. Two years later, he saw action at one of the worst bloodiest battles in Niagara Falls, Canada, the Battle of Lundy's Lane. During that battle, a falling and splintering tree caused Gas to lose one of his eyes. Hmm. And I'm not familiar with those battles no. uh, at all. But uh, Now, despite his injury, this fighter persisted. He wouldn't stop until after the U.S. and Britain signed the Treaty of Ghent that ended the war. In the years following the war, Gas found himself with uh, little excitement and took to drinking a little and relaying to anyone who'd listen stories of his days with Lewis and Clark in the Rocky Mountains. He worked as a brewer, a ferryman, a carpenter. Uh, his uh, respectable living was strengthened by the 1827 death of his father, who left him a quite a sizable inheritance. His, so when his dad died, he was left pretty good. So by 1829, he's now 58 years old. He fell in love with a 20-year-old woman. They married in 1831, and over the next 15 years, they had seven children. She tragically died of measles in 1846. Wow. Now, in 1860, he was kicked out of a local recruiting station for insisting on fighting in America's Civil War. The chief complaint against Gas was not his fighting spirit, but his age, 
He was 90 years old. He wanted to fight at 90. <laughs> he wanted to fight. He wanted to be wow. recruited. He was 90 years old. And I think they said, uh, you know, maybe you better just go Let, Can I ask you a quick question sure. before we run out of time? From the start until they made all the way to the West Coast and then back to the wherever their homes were, how long was that? Uh, see, didn't we figure like three years? That's 18, what I was, was going to say. Three or 18, two and a half. No, something three like to eighteen oh six. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? That's a that's a long time and pretty pretty rough stuff. But oh my, you know, up to four years before his death, when he kind of became helpless, he he walked weekly to uh, Wellsburg to get the Wellsburg newspaper that he subscribed, and at home he read the paper, cared for small children. He was exceedingly fond of small children, and the boys he held on. One or either knee and sang to them Yankee Doodle and and he had a, a song he sang and this is the last one. A bluebird sat on a hickory limb. He winked at me and I winked at him. I up with my gun and broke his shin and away the feathers flew. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice nice uh, song for the Audubon Society. <laughs> so that is Patrick Gass. Oh, Dr. History, you did it again. You know, really, I can't even imagine saying goodbye to your family for three and a half years going into uncharted territory. Yeah. That is an amazing story. Well, and most of those, I mean, the trappers and those people, they knew when they left, they may never see their families again. again. Yeah. Yeah. And I mentioned before that sometimes four years was the maximum lifespan of a mountain man trapper. Holy smokes. Thank you very much. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.